0: You are listening to The Teen Wolf, Rewolf. So, I know I usually want to talk about what's your number, but we do have to talk about a different Chris Evans movie before we begin this episode of the podcast. Which is Knives Out. Yo, dude, my knives are so out. They will never go back in. They're, nope, they're out. My knives are permanently out. Um, My knives are gay. <laughs> <laughs> if you have not had the chance to see... Knives out. We implore you to. We highly recommend. I can't remember the last time I had that much fun at a movie. For the entire two hours. Yeah, I was gripped. And I spoiled it for myself, and I knew what was going to happen, and I was still just, like, entranced. And she very diligently sat next to me and did not spoil anything for me the whole film, so thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Um, the twist is so good. I love that Christopher Plummer is still working, um... (laughs) <laughs> Daniel Craig. Oh, Daniel Craig. He's amazing. He's so good. apparently, like, when they asked him to do it, we are like, we just want, like, a subtle southern accent. And he went, like, full Tennessee Williams on that shit. Um, I think Tennessee Williams would approve. I think so, too. I think Tennessee Williams would approve of the whole sh- shebang. What? what? Actually, Tennessee Williams would have been like, there needs to be a gay person. But, like, that's fine. <laughs> I honestly really think that Agatha Christie got a screener up in heaven and was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Um. So, Ryan Johnson direct all of the things. Who knew Ryan Johnson was that good? Probably other people, just not me. It's funny because they were talking over invested about how they thought the directing was the weak point. I disagree. Yeah, I do too. I think as like an actor watching, I liked what he did with it. Maybe if you're somebody who's not watching quite through that lens, I could see it. Yeah. Um. But no, it was good all around. I had so much fun. This is going to shape up to be a phenomenal Oscar season. Oh, yeah. There's, I feel like there's a lot of stuff I have to watch. Yeah, we have to see Parasite. That's the next move. Wolfpack, if you have seen Parasite, don't spoil anything because I've heard that you should go in with minimal information, but let us know if you liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Or let us know what other kind of movies you want to see. I know that Marriage Story is now on Netflix and also so is the, uh, Scorsese- the Irishman. The Irishman, right. I didn't know that... I thought that that was just released on Netflix. I didn't realize you could see it in a theater. In the Apparently, theater. you can also see Marriage Story in a theater, too. Uh, well, I won't be doing that because I don't want to pay money, but I do love Adam Driver, so... Yeah. I think... I I kind of want to have... I, I say this every year. I'm like, I'm going to watch the... I'm going to make sure I see every best picture now before the Oscars, and then I always walk in being like, well, I saw four or whatever, yeah. so I'm going to try to do this year because this has been a really amazing year for film. Except for cats We know that's gonna be trash Hal Prince He tried to warn us Oh gosh And he could not Wait Quick thing about Adam Driver though Is Someone Posted about how like Adam Driver's got It was like a magazine article And it was like Adam Driver's like Very strange face And someone quoted it And was like You could just say he's handsome. (laughs) Yeah, I know you're a man and that's really hard for you, but you can just say that he's handsome. Because he is. His face is interesting, though. I would call him handsome in, like, an avant-garde way. Like, I definitely find him handsome, but it's Mm -hmm. not typical handsome. It's not for everybody, but he is. It's not Chris Evans in a knit sweater. We really liked Knives Out, you guys. Oh my god, the sweaters were... The costume design was the best part. Not the best part, but it was f- so good. Jamie Lee Curtis looks fucking incredible. Jamie Lee Curtis is just as hot as she was in Halloween. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps even more so. Maybe hotter. Mm-hmm. Um, we mm-hmm. love you, Jamie Lee. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, that has nothing to do with Teen Wolf, but... It does not, but I had feel a great like time. we need to keep things... Here's the thing about Teen Wolf. It's a niche interest. Yeah, we need to spread our pop culture knowledge elsewhere. We need to be critical of all media. We need to go see other things, and um, sometimes, and also everything we see influences how we talk about Teen Wolf. You know, everything know. you watch is a, you know, you add into your encyclopedia of culture knowledge. Yes. So it's funny because when we saw the lighthouse, there's like. Which you should also see if you're not grossed out because it's a really smelly movie. But when we saw the lighthouse, there's the scene when it's going up the um, going up the stairs to the actual light, and the mm-hmm. camera turns. That's like almost almost an exact like replication of the shot in Vertigo. I love that movie. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Up the staircase, almost the exact mm-hmm. thing. And if I did, had never seen Vertigo, I wouldn't know that what that was referencing. So I think it's important that we talk about Knives Out before we talk about the season finale of season one of Teen Wolf. Agreed. Agreed. But we did make it to the finale. We did. It took a lot. A lot longer than we were anticipating. No, we would have been done in like mid-November had we not had all of these setbacks. hiatuses, Multiple. Not in poipus. No, we, uh, we wanted to be here and do it and sometimes life happens, but here we are. Yes. It's so. being a person in your 20s. Sometimes life happens and it's always happening when you don't want it to be. <laughs> You can't plan for that shit. No, you can't. Anyway, welcome to the Teen Wolf, Ray Wolf podcast, a podcast where we're going to talk about the last episode of season one of Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. We're ready to go. We are so ready. Raren and Garen. We pizza and prosecco this episode. We did. Episode. It was like a celebration, kind of. Twas, was, um, because uh, all of the things uh, wrapped up. Kind of. Kind of, sort of. Lots of good, like, cliffhangers for the next season. Um, oh, season two is so juicy. I'm so excited to talk about it. We're we're ready. Um, and just in case you weren't aware and you want to pace yourself listening to this episode, it will be a bit longer because this is our director's cut version where we're going to talk about... Uh, season 12 Season 12 Oh my god If it's it was 12 forward, seasons <laughs> of Teen Wolf I'd quit the podcast right now Immediately Episode 12 um, <laughs> Plus the whole season um, in review Because uh, we've come to an end of, of, this, part of this podcast It's like uh, a milestone Yeah tw- But not like a end. big milestone We've only made it through 12 episodes It's not like a 24 episode season um, Thank god to be quite honest Yeah That's where it fails The show no cuz season 3 was good. Yeah, but because it was like cuz it was, A was two B. seasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually two seasons, two entirely separate plots. We already know we know how we feel about season 5. Season guys, listen. We are not going to just dunk on season five. We're not going to go in. And I feel like people are... Cause we've already had people be like, could you be nice about season five? Season well, five does not have rights. It does. Stop. Well, I mean, no, it doesn't. But we're going to... I promise we're going to be really diplomatic about season five. There are things that we like about it a lot. Which actually we were just discussing. I like steampunk. I like steampunk. I like the concept of the Dread Doctors. Um, it's the execution that is piss and on the poor. Love Liam. We love Liam. We love Liam. And I don't know why I like Theo, because I think he's a garbage villain, but... Eh. Theum is why we like Theo. Theum is why we like... <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird that they snuck that in at the end of the show. They're like, and another ship. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. They did, yeah. I also do think that they thought there was going to be a Teen Wolf spin-off. I spinoff. I would watch it. I would watch it too. I would watch the hell out of that. But yeah. alas. It'll be I think it will be rebooted at some point. Um hard to say when. Well Everything given when the original Teen Wolf movie came out and when the show <laughs> came out, I'm gonna say like the next thirty approximately years. Approximately thirty years, yeah. Sounds good. Cool. And then I will truly not care. We will not we will not pick up the podcast in thirty years. No, we will not. No. We'll just be like Women in our fifties living our best lives. Oh good Lord! I picture myself in my middle age, just letting my gray hair go and like long and flowing, kind of Jane Goodall style. I I like that for you. Thank you. You're welcome. Also, there's nothing saying that I won't just go live in the jungle with animals when I'm in my fifties, which is very on brand. <laughs> I cannot see past next Tuesday, so uh, I have no idea. Two types of people. I'm really thinking it's like, uh, Practical Magic aunts style. Yes. <laughs> Big winding house. Um, on with the water. The so, water. Yeah. Speaking of water, kind of water. should we talk about Russell Mulcahy? Russell Mulcahy, who directed episode 12. Um, and Jeff Davis actually personally wrote this episode. It's the first episode that I can remember him being credited on as, um, A writer as opposed to like developed by But I could be wrong about that No he wrote the pilot He wrote the pilot okay So he like wrote the bookends of this season Important Um, Just so everybody knows There's some rain in the final fight scene A la Russell Mulcahy's signature trademark Worder The worder Um, We had a a really great time watching this um, And we did watch it through the theme of Responsibility Yeah and now it's time for us to take responsibility and do the 60-second recap. I, we we are so out of practice of this. I really... Yeah, anyway. You forgot that we had to do that? Yep. I was kind of pressing to see how far we could do without doing it, but I know we have to sum up the episode. It's just that I know I have to go first this time. You do. But it's okay, because this all happens... This episode happens in the span of, what, like three hours? Yeah, but my brain don't work like that. <laughs> okay. Um... Are you ready? No. no! All right, but that's fine. So, um... No, but you have to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you a countdown to our 60-second recap. Three, two, one. So, we catch up with Styles in the cross field with Peter and, like, a maimed Lydia. And Peter's like, you can call Jackson if you help me find Scott. And Scott is, like, run away from the prom or wherever the fuck they were. And then Lydia goes to the hospital and... Um, we catch up with, like, Styles and Peter, like, trying to find Scott. And they're, like, on his computer trying to guess his password. And then uh, Chris has, like, exposed Scott to Allison. So he's like, you have to go to Washington with Kate and stay away from here until we catch the werewolves. And then obviously that doesn't happen because the, when they're in the car, like... Kate tells Allison about what happened to Lydia and she's subscribing to Lydia and she's like, I have to kill werewolves too now because that's how indoctrination happens. And then Scott finds uh, Derek by howling for him, but then also Peter and Scott find Derek by searching for Scott's cell phone on the internet, which is like magic and technology in one. And then they all meet up at the Hale house and then Allison is trying to kill Scott and Derek because she now thinks that like Scott's going to turn into the person who killed Lydia, which is killed, who hurt Lydia, which is Peter. And then um, Peter kills Kate. Nope. it! I really thought it was doing well on time. You were. And then there were five seconds left and you just got to the Hale house and I was like. Oh well, <laughs> well, but that's where it ends. Like I was, I was at the end of the yes. episode. Shall I just pick up where you no um, no left no off no start at no start? No, You gotta start at okay. the beginning. All right, <sighs> are you ready? Uh, Too yes. late. Go. Okay. Um. So lights up Lydia on the lacrosse field. Um. Jackson comes and picks her up and takes her to the hospital. Styles goes off with. Peter, um, Peter offers to turn Styles into a werewolf. Styles says no. Um, The sheriff finds out that Styles went to the formal with Lydia um, and is really pissed off about it because he doesn't understand what happened here. Um, uh, Allison gets sent off to Washington. Chris finds out that, Al- that Kate told Allison about the werewolves. Um, Al- Kate takes Allison to the hospital to see what happened to Lydia. So uh, Allison's like, oh, got to go evil now. She shoots Derek. Um, Scott, you know, gets Derek out of whatever. Um, Derek gets shot by a bullet and some arrows and then magically recovers. There's lots of fighting. Um, Kate dies. And then things kind of, like, wrap up. But then... Um, Oh no! What's gonna happen? Lydia's not actually a werewolf. They're visiting her in the hospital. Um, Allison and Scott are sitting on a really steep rooftop. I've forgotten everything. That... Just watched yeah. it. I know. Um, but I would get... like to say that Styles and Jackson Molotov, Peter, and then Derek kills him, and he's the alpha now. Yes, I'm the alpha now. I'm the alpha now. <laughs> um, this was before <laughs> Captain Phillips, so that's pretty funny. <laughs> it's a very similar delivery. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Tom Hanks. <laughs> Dude, the, the whole... Copy uh, off of Tyler Hackman. The Maybe. whole um, self-igniting Molotov cocktail, which is not a thing. We've Googled it. We the do. one thing we've Googled <laughs> in terms of looking up shit on this show. Uh, we do no research except for that one thing. And then they were like... First of all, I want to know how they had time and where they did it. The hospital, obviously. But do, does the hospital just have, like, beakers? No. Laying around? I don't think they do. I don't think that, like, hospitals just have, like, open sulfuric acid. No, I do think... That They better stop at the school though Like we don't know That scene makes me think That there are Scenes that were cut out Of this episode uh, Because they didn't have any time Yeah Um, I wish That what they had done With this episode Is you know when Shows will do a double header For their opener And their finale Oh yeah Like a to be continued Or do it the same night But like have two Two time slots Yeah Yeah I I think that would have helped Yeah Um, There was a lot To try to wrap up here So as presented and neither of us could get through the 60 second recap and get everything. It's because they spent the whole last episode dicking around with the dance. Yeah. Unnecessarily. So much stuff could have been accomplished in the last episode that was not accomplished. Last episode was kind of character drama-y, which I always like though. Because Mm -hmm. I would, like, just theater brain me is like, I would love to just watch four people sit in a room and talk for three hours instead of watch, like, action scenes. Yes. Yeah. Um. I really enjoyed this episode, though. I... Uh, think that some people got their just desserts Um, we really see kind of what everyone's driving motivations are uh, really clearly which is something that's been like tapped into throughout the course of the season but you know it comes to a head because this is the the finale there's some sweepingly dramatic music Uh,
1: at the end
0: true like (laughs) a real fanfare (laughs) yeah it's like an actual score as opposed to MTV licensed songs which I thought was interesting yeah Um, I think we should break right into talking about theme, because we have a lot to cover. We really do. And I want to talk first about Scott. Obviously, because this is kind of the end of the first part of his journey, and how responsibility relates to him. Because I know we have been talking a lot about, like, this is, like, the beginning of this season is Scott's start to his superhero journey, Mm -hmm. a la Peter Parker. We've talked a lot about that. And I think... The finale is the true jumping off point of, like, accepting responsibility that you don't necessarily want, but is great power comes with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, how you choose to use it, what you take responsibility for that maybe even you don't have to, but you do out of, like, moral leanings or, you know, personal yearnings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that this, show, this episode tells a lot about Scott. This is the Scott McCall show. Um In this, like, particular episode. Because, like, I mean, Scott McCall is the Teen Wolf, but a lot of the time, you know, other characters are kind of more central to driving the plot forward. And then this episode is mostly Scott. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love him. Which is unnecessary to say, because we all know. If we didn't Um, love Scott, we wouldn't be here. Exactly. Um, Yeah, so... Scott figures out how to... Break Derek out of werewolf jail. It yeah. is essentially werewolf jail, and then kind of blackmail, blackmails him into helping him defeat the alpha. I that wouldn't call of, it blackmail. No, manipulates. Manipulates. I guess. Yeah, maybe, but I, I think his intention is not for personal gain, which I think is maybe often the like delineation between manipulation Mm -hmm. and, I don't know, coercion. I think what he does do is present Derek with the last piece of information he needs to side with good as opposed to, I guess, Peter's evil. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So Scott, which I don't know if we quite were able to cover in our 60-second recap, informs Derek that Peter killed the deer, carved a symbol of revenge in it, and then anonymously sent the police or the veterinary report to Laura to lure her back to Beacon Hills to kill her and take the Alpha's powers. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's that piece of information, understanding that because Derek has been duped by Peter thinking that the murder of Laura was an accident, understanding that it was intentional, it was to be the Alpha, it was a power move, is what Derek needs to realize that, like, even though he wants revenge on the Argents, as you would, obviously, if somebody burned your family alive... He knows that that's not an allegiance that's safe to make, and he was making it out of, like, emotional decision as opposed to, like, logical thinking. Scott's really playing on Derek's responsibility to his family and the memory of his siblings. Yeah. Um, and the memory of the people who have died in his place, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, what I this is not about responsibility necessarily, but I think it's really interesting that Laura his sister, a woman, Mm -hmm. was the Alpha and not Derek. Um, That's really interesting to me. Um, I also question, wonder how the Alpha was decided once the Hale family was murdered.
1: mm -hmm. Who did that fall
0: to upon, I mean, was it immediately Laura? Because, you know, if, if, if what we know is true and the last people remaining alive were Cora, Laura... Okay. Gross. Derek and Peter. Who does that to their family? (laughs) We can assume that Laura... Was not an alpha at the time. Was not an alpha of the fire, but then, upon Talia's passing, took that power. You know, that's a really interesting question, and one that we're never going to get answered just due to the lore problem. If anybody knows Jeff Davis, we have a lot of questions. So many questions. I think it would be more realistic that Laura killed an alpha. Interesting. And... So you think power. that the like Talia's power died with her? I I think so, partially because in later seasons we see like uh, Derek morphing fully into a wolf, which is something that we know Talia could do. But we so, also know Laura could do it, right? Maybe maybe I don't know how it how it's passed. I think that like. I had I had it all worked out, and then you pointed out that Laura could turn into wolf, and I totally forgot about that. Aha! What it was. I love throwing <laughs> a wrench in the ointment. Yeah. Um. No, I I don't know. I don't think that alpha is alphaness can be passed hereditarily. That doesn't make sense. Although when Talia, what does make sense? But like, in if this Talia show? dies of natural causes, who then becomes the alpha? Interesting. Not sure. We, technically a fire is natural causes. <laughs> Yes, it, but I mean, like, if Talia grew old no, and died... I know what you're saying. Thing. I was just being gross. Um But let's talk about Scott again. Not yeah. that I don't... <laughs> I mean, like, I always would love to hash out the Hale family tree because it doesn't make any sense. Um, but what else does Scott have a responsibility to in this episode? Scott, um... Ha- uh, he has a responsibility to his pack. He does. Um... And that, I mean, that includes kind of in an auxiliary sense, like Lydia and Jackson as well. Well, it's never really explicitly stated in this episode, but he knows that taking care of the Alpha will protect the other people in his life, and not just Allison. Mm -hmm. And he has spent this entire season watching his friends, you know, be terrorized by the Alpha and by their brushes with the supernatural that they weren't ready for, or they weren't asking for. Um, And so, you know, he... He, in a sense, is doing it for Allison. Like, he wants to save her and, by extension, her family. Um, but also his pack, who has been through so much more than he could ever have asked them to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I think in keeping with the Spider-Man correlation, um, a big part of Peter Parker's character is that he is very, very protective over his identity mm-hmm. because he knows if anybody knew who he was everyone he loved would be in immediate danger right and in the progression of season one the more people start to find out about Scott the more they are in intrinsic danger specifically mm-hmm. kind of people like Jackson but also once Allison knows it's serious bad news bears for her you know yeah it leads to a lot of family issues and then also puts her in a really dangerous position of having to you know combat Kate's want to kill Scott in the woods yeah um, and it's not mentioned explicitly in this episode because Melissa Ponzio is not in it. Um, but, you know, Peter went after his mom once. He could always do it again. hmm Um, Scott, I think, wants it all to be over. And we As know that, that uh, inherently because he asks Derek not to kill Peter because he thinks Peter is the chance to no longer be the alpha. Exactly. Which, Which is, is maybe denying responsibility. It's interesting though because that is a, a thing that has come up in a previous episode, but not um, recently about how the one who bit you can uh, cure you. Mm-hmm. But we really do see that that was kind of Scott's u- ulterior motive. Like it was an addition additional thing. Yeah, like it's two birds, one stone. you know, you save Allison's family and you um, become not a werewolf. Yeah, anymore. Which, of course, we knew was not ever going to be possible for him. No, of course not. And it's interesting that he would even still rather be with Allison and suffer her family after knowing what he knows. Well, it's interesting because we have this confusion about Jackson and why he still wants to be a werewolf. Like, Because, like, everything. why does he? Well, exactly. But, like, why would why would Scott want to continue to be with Allison when he knows that her entire family is out together? Like you're, you're a teenager and you want the things that you want, even though you don't necessarily understand it. True. And I don't think it's this simple. I think I'm, I don't, I don't think it's this simple, but it is a little bit like the immediate gratification of being with Allison is like, there is love there. They say, I love you in this episode. Like, he you know feels what it feels like to be in love and that feels a lot better than being a werewolf and having these powers and popularity or whatever like mm-hmm. the, the, the strength of that emotion and that comfort is so much more than he has felt in this past season you know like his life has completely flipped and yes Scott was unpopular and untalented before being a werewolf mm-hmm. um, but I think those gaining those things have, has given him a huge amount of perspective That he doesn't necessarily want that particular aspect that comes with this life. What I think is funny um, is the question of whether or not... And I know this isn't Q's notes, but like... um, You can ask a question. There's no rules. (laughs) There's no rules. This is our podcast. I know, but we like really veered off the rails last week, so I'm trying to... to, True. I bet people were listening being like, what what are they talking about? (laughs) Um, No, I really wonder if... Scott would be as attached to Allison as he is if he weren't a werewolf, because when oh you think it's like an imprinting type deal? <laughs> um, I'm not At saying Twilight. it's like a la Twilight, but I do think <laughs> oh, that's, that's so gross. <laughs> it's disgusting. Also, we found out that Tyler Hecklin was like offered the role of Emmett Cullen in Twilight. Interesting. Not the point though. Um, he would have made that baseball scene <laughs> a lot better because he actually plays baseball. Um, very sexy Tyler Hoechlin. We love that you play baseball. <laughs> yeah, he's just. He's a lot in this episode. Um, but, like, Allison is his anchor. Mm-hmm. He is, like, she is what he thinks about when he's, like, starting to get out of control. And I think if you have that kind of connection with someone and, like, that connection is what keeps you from turning into a homicidal maniac, you might have feelings that were, would not otherwise be there. Um, so, in a way, I think that his becoming a werewolf has intensified his feelings for Allison, Which might not exist in the same way if he were not a werewolf. Well, I think being a werewolf makes the stakes of their relationship a lot higher, which puts you in a lot more vested interest in it. Like, in high school, everything does kind of feel like it's the end of the world all the time, but I think the only thing that will really put that perspective is it actually being the end of the world for you, and I think Scott has to feel that way and has seen both sides, and so he knows just how it can end for either of them, you know? Scott is not Emotionally stupid Obviously We talk about how Scott's Very emotionally intelligent Scott's not dumb enough To not see a reality In which Allison Will Choose her family's Ideology over him mm-hmm. And that is why He has to have so much Interest in it Because he loves her So dearly He can't let that happen It's really tragic Tragique We oui. the, the look on his face When Allison shows up Uh and shoots Derek. I mean, the he's so upset by yeah. It. obviously, yeah, obviously, yes. But like, uh, I part of I'm sure part of him thought that she would never. Yeah, yeah. Part of I mean, I, but again, I think it was considered on all sides. I think now we've talked a little about Scott's responsibility to the world because he's a superhero and a true. Oh. He's a true alpha. Yeah. I mean, you know, eventually. Right now, <laughs> Derek is the alpha. Um, but while we're talking about that scene in particular, let's talk a little bit about Allison and where her responsibilities lie. Allison, in this episode, is the indoctrination by Kate really comes to a head. Um, and... I think what cinches it all is not seeing Scott as a werewolf. I think she could have gotten over that, but the fact that Kate brings her to the hospital, and I think, I think Kate was the one who listened to the voicemail, and was like, "I'm gonna take, Allison to the hospital because there's something wrong with Lydia." Um, seeing her best friend like incapacitated in a hospital bed as a result of uh, a werewolf that is what gets Allison to shoot Derek with an arrow. Mm -hmm. Um, and she won't go so far as to shooting Scott, but I think that if she, if given a bit more time, she might have. Yeah. Um, but she does, she is completely opposed to the idea of either of them being killed, which, like, as you are as, like, a human being, which Kate is not. Not a human. Um, but, it's interesting to me that Allison never considered that that's where this was going. She's shocked mm-hmm. when Kate shoots yeah. Scott or Derek. I don't know who she shoots. she shoots Derek, yeah? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think if Allison would have a conception of what the code is. Because she has to know that her family is involved in werewolf hunting. And that is like... Their motto is like, we hunt those who hunt us. Um... And so that becomes her responsibility. Like her responsibility is to her family and to protecting the people that she loves. And both Allison and her father have this incredible naivete about Kate, how far about Kate and how far she'll go. It is, I think, especially on Chris's part, a choice. It is a, a mm-hmm. blind eye. Yeah, um, which we do see in their first scene together in this episode. Yeah. Um. When Chris basically takes Kate at her word for not having set the fire that she clearly set. And you can see in his eyes that he doesn't really believe her. But perhaps he thinks that if he turns a blind eye for long enough, he can figure out how, a way to stop what she's doing. I actually think if he... Is able to turn the blind blind eye to Kate. It can let him continue to think that what they do is right. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't necessarily think it's it's like a way to stop him. I think it's like a way to not upset his worldview. And you can really see him struggling with that this whole episode because I know we're really veering... Off. We were talking about it we'll, we'll get Alice, back there, I promise. Um, but when we come back to the game of chicken that they played, like, in between the school buses with him and the other car, um, some phenomenal acting by J. Airborne in this episode. Um, I think J. Airborne's really good. He is really good. I think that this is, like, the, some really good writing in time for him to shine. You can see in his face that he is so upset that he's right. About Scott. Being, about Scott being yeah. a werewolf. You... Because he knows how much his daughter cares about him. And Scott's only a 16-year-old boy. And he, unlike Jackson, is not a dick. So, like, Chris is so upset that this is how it's all turning out. Mm-hmm. Um, and he works really hard to try and fix it. And in the end, he gets knocked out. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a fascinating choice. I thought I was lazy. <laughs> they are like, oh shit, what do we do with Chris? I don't know. Knock him out, and then we'll deal with it at the end. <laughs> but he doesn't get to be a part of like the final battle. It's just no. It's just the boys. But that's what I women. think is lazy is that they don't they we don't get to see like Chris essentially choose mm. Kate or Scott. Well, because I think that the interesting uh, human moment there is between uh, Allison and Kate, fair, and, and not Chris. But back to Allison. Yeah, Allison is confronted basically with a responsibility to family or to Scott. yikes I mean like I could not imagine you know someone who she has looked up to so much she refers to Kate as her sister do Mm -hmm. not know why because Kate is like abysmal even in like a personal sense not a werewolf killing sense Mm -hmm. she it completely disrupts the way she thinks about like her life and her relationships with her family to hear Kate say that they're gonna kill them but I also think that's a a choice a, a chosen naivete from Allison too that that wasn't the end game because she knows that what her family does is kill werewolves. Well, her mom kind of sets her up to think that it might be okay with Scott because she asks her when <sighs> Victoria just being the worst mom. <laughs> I wish we explored the relationship more. We yeah, we don't get enough of it. It. Yeah. Um. But Allison asks her mom, "What's going to happen to Scott?" And her mom says, "Oh, we have this kind of code, um, especially when they're that young." So I, it makes sense that she's so shocked because her mom seemed to be like pretty firm on that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to have Kate be like, "Nah, fair." I mean, Kate is the one who most explicitly breaks the code until we meet Gerard. Ugh. I know he sucks. I'm not excited to he that he also plays the mean um grandpa like he plays Harvey's mean grandpa in uh Sabrina. He's also in the Battlestar Galactica reboot and coincidentally the worst part of the Battlestar Galactica reboot, which is for all intents and purposes very good. Edward James almost amazing, and then Gerard uh I think he plays Colonel Ty, awful. That actor so bad. is uh, just equipped to play evil old men. And, like, not in a way that ever makes you endear. No, he's like a cave where you there's no motive. Yeah. It's just evil. It's really interesting because in The 100, um, in the second season, there is this, like, colony of people who live in the mountain who haven't been affected by radiation, and they live in this, like, quasi-40s world. It's very strange. But the guy who runs all of that is this very charming older man who is, like, a pure gentleman and welcomes, you know, these uh, space teenagers into his arms and, like, turns out to be the most evil motherfucker you could ever imagine. But you have delusions about him at first because he just seems so lovely. And Gerard, from moment one, is just such a dick. I think that's bad writing on behalf of the Teen Wolf writing staff because I think they should have tried to make it seem like well, now we have someone who's going to put the code in real gear, like where there's ethics to werewolf hunting or whatever. And they didn't. They were just like, he also sucks. And I was like, so they all suck, which they do all suck. But like, I want a little bit more nuance. Kate really tried to take from the Pirates of the Caribbean, the thing about the code, it's more like guidelines. And that works if you're a pirate and you're Jeffrey Rush, not if you're a werewolf hunter in the 21st century. Yeah. Sorry. No, because it's not like Kate <laughs> asks for a parlay no. and they have to afford it to her. <laughs> Literally every time I'm like, we go by the code, I just, I just see Pirates of the Caribbean like, flash before sure, my yeah. Um So Allison does have this thing where I, she does choose Scott. Um, ultimately. Ultimately chooses Scott, which I guess is maybe the thing that gets Kate killed? No. Not in- not directly. But Kate- Allison doesn't do anything when Peter's like- She doesn't have a lot of agency. No. Does she have her gun? Does she have her bow and arrows or a gun? She does. I think she might have dropped it before she ran inside. Okay. Um, but Allison isn't really doing anything of her own volition in this episode. Like, she- Kate tells her where to shoot Derek. Yeah. Kate tells her what kind of arrows to use. And ultimately, she does make that one choice. Mm-hmm. Scott, she she chooses to break the Molotov cocktail, the self igniting self igniting which do not <laughs> exist. Listen, if you I were don't know anyone. I, okay, I may have gotten like a B minus in honors chem, but I know that there's no such thing as a self igniting Molotov cocktail. But she chooses to break the Molotov cocktail, which is interesting because it is both a choice for Scott. against werewolves. It puts Allison in the middle of the conflict still. I think Allison might see a way to separate Scott from werewolfism. Werewolfdom. Because when she's talking to Kate, she's like do all werewolves do that? And Kate's like yes, even Scott. But it's clear that she sees a real difference between him and Peter. Yeah. Um... Which is probably what fuels her decision to go after Peter and then forgive Scott. Mm-hmm. Even though two minutes later, she, two minutes earlier, she was like, I don't trust you. Yeah. But also, it's funny because I can sit here and be like, Allison, pick a side. I couldn't pick a side. No. So. It does make sense how confused she is. Like, yeah. It's not out of character. Not for saying her. I would side with Kate because I can smell Kate being evil from a mile away. But. It'd be a real ding dong. <laughs> Yeah, you have to actively choose not to find her completely repulsive. Um But, yeah, I mean, I uh, my thing is, like, Allison's trajectory, especially in season two, is infuriating to a viewer because you want so much for her to be good. But you also are acutely aware of why she makes all the choices she does. She views her responsibility as being one to her family. Yeah. Um... And I get that. Like, I, I really get that. And I get how that puts you down roads that ultimately, like, in any other circumstance, your brain would be telling you that's not right. hmm But because you think, I have this responsibility to my family, and therefore it must be right, you get stuck. Yeah. Which is what happens to Allison. Yeah. Um, while we're on the topic of responsibility to the Argents, what do we think Chris has in terms of responsibility this episode? I think for Chris, it always comes down to the code. Yeah. And he has clearly been able to ignore the fact that Kate is breaking, like, flaunting the code, almost, for a long time because she's his sister, and he loves her, and for the most part, she does it kind of, like, out of sight, out of mind. Like, we don't know where she's been when she shows up in Beacon Hills. But he realizes that she did something unspeakable, Mm -hmm. abhorrent. She burned people alive, like babies. And I think on a human level, he finds that so incredibly repulsive, and it's never what he would have done because of the code. And he really kind of scraps loyalty to his family Mm -hmm. because of it. And it's funny because we almost see that he has... A little responsibility to Scott Mm -hmm. We see how upset he is By you said In being proved right that it is Scott Who's the other beta And as much as I think it is lazy That he doesn't have any part in the final battle I don't even know how you would handle What happens He would obviously pick Kate over anybody And Allison Um, But being confronted with the Honestly with what she did It would make for a very interesting conversation That I wish had happened Come on Teen Wolf Don't be afraid of conflict. They had so... They had really limited time to fit that all in. I know, but every time there's like a five-minute fight scene, I'm like, skip to the part where they're talking again. Yeah. Every action movie, I'm like, can somebody have a conversation, please? And I like action movies, but the talky parts. (laughs) I love it when they talk while they're fighting. (laughs) Me too. It's so fun. Yeah. Yes. Um... He he wasn't a serious point of responsibility, but I did think we needed to talk about him. I do think J.R. Bourne was very good in mm-hmm. this episode. He also does kind of have a responsibility to Victoria, but, but she, she reports to her. Yeah, so. no, no, no. My, his responsibility is that of like an assistant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> their relationship is so strange. Ugh, ugh. That whole relationship is so strange. Their family dynamic. What do they talk about at dinner? I don't... That's a great question. Yeah. What's really interesting about that is because she dies in season two. And, like... Spoiler. Spo- oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> As if we have not spoiled the entire series. Um, like, you feel badly for Chris, but you feel terrible for Allison because you're like, that's her mom. I don't really... Like, I wish there was more characterization, but the mere fact that that was her, her mom. mom... yeah. I would feel so much worse for Chris if we had any inkling of what that relationship was like and we get nothing no, ever. In fact, her death is kind of the only scene where we really see them interact like softly. tenderly. Yeah. yeah. there's no tenderness in the urgent family. I no think. they ever they live in a, a, this ugly McMansion <laughs> that's just full of straight lines and mean people. It is heinous. It is so ugly. <laughs> we hate it. We do. The class divides in Teen Wolf are a big conversation on their own. Let us know if you want a bonus episode on class consciousness in Teen Wolf. Mini Sode, 25 minutes? Mini Sode, we start with a reading from the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> That's the whole episode. <laughs> I'm sure y'all could find a PDF. Yeah, I um, no, I'm sure everybody was just like, actually, I'm going to unsubscribe to this podcast <laughs> right now. Immediately, yeah. Um, but that wasn't a huge... Chris wasn't a huge point of, of uh, responsibility. I did just think we needed to touch on him a little bit. Let's talk yeah. about Derek and his responsibility, to Laura. And other things. But Laura is something that I think is, like, oof. As far as Derek knows, besides Peter, Laura was his only living family. And Cora did not ex- even exist in the mind of the writers until she comes up in the show, so... Yeah, like, surprise! Yeah, and I, I think Adelaide Kane's, like, fine or whatever, but it was just, like... She, I'm here, ding. She didn't get enough to do for me to care. I literally forget that she is a character yeah. in the show. And yeah, no fault, no fault of the actress at all. No, um, just bad writing. <laughs> um. Oh, you know, bad writing. That's the whole thing. <laughs> the, the writing is bad. Um. <laughs> People are like, why do you watch the show? And you're like, oh, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> a <laughs> great question. Okay. Do you know what I actually think about Derek and his feeling of responsibility though? Mm-hmm. I do think that he feels like he has responsibility to Laura. Um but I think he realizes how serious he Scott is about taking on the alpha, and he's like, if I don't do this, this kid's gonna die. Um so that like desire to avenge Laura or to like you know preserve her memory is kind of tied to Scott in this really Mm -hmm. weird way because Scott is now becoming his family Mm -hmm. because they're like part of a pack sort of yeah um and you know he decides to help Scott kind of under the guise of avenging Laura yeah which I think is interesting it's funny you kind of want scott and derek's relationship to be like batman and robin but it's a little bit more like miles morales and peter <laughs> b parker where you have just like this disaster man who's like i guess this child is mine yeah they they get better <laughs> they do yeah and you do see later on in the show how much they deeply love each other but season 1 they're still trying to figure each other out and I mean, Derek already took bullets for Scott. Yes, and so he clearly feels a, a real responsibility to him. I mean, I, there's clearly ulterior motives. Yeah, but I think Derek is doing what Peter can't, and taking the responsibility of pack, dumb mm-hmm. being a hail, being a hail, being in a pack like. Peter wanted a pack for power, but Derek understands, especially as somebody who has lived essentially alone with only one person in his pack for the last six years. Like, he understands, like, the power of, like, the family aspect of a pack, Mm -hmm. which I think Scott understands more than anyone when he says, like, when he talks about his pack in night school, when he talks about Jackson and Lydia and stuff, he understands, like, the people you care about are your pack. Mm-hmm. And Derek understands that if Scott is in his pack, he cares about him. Yeah. So they go about it in the opposite directions, but they reach the same point. It's kind of cute. It is. Um. Derek's like the older brother you don't want because he's such a fuck up. Yeah, of course he. Oh. <laughs> um. We didn't have to talk about Derek all that much. I do, I do, I do just think it's interesting that this is like a choice of that it, we haven't even really talked about Laura's death since like episode three. But grand scheme, this season doesn't take place over a long period of time. Derek has been two weeks max. Yeah, Derek has been in like serious mourning, and if he is presented with a situation where he can avenge his sister, he will take it. Um, And I just think that's interesting and speaks well of Derek, and also gives you something about Derek where you're like, ah, yes, you're not just a grumpy person. Yeah, I mean, he followed Laura there. Yeah. Because he was lonely. No, because he she was missing. But yes, yeah. because he was lonely. Poor Kenos does. Well, Derek goes off yeah. on his own all the time. I don't think loneliness affects him. Like I don't think being alone affects him so much as knowing that there's nobody else that affects mm-hmm. him. Um, who else do you want to talk about? Um, maybe a little bit of Styles, a little bit of Jackson. I think. Yeah. Who pick go Styles go. Um. There's a really fascinating scene um, in this episode where, first of all, Styles has a responsibility to Lydia um, because he agrees to help Peter under the condition that he can call someone to come get Lydia and potentially save her life. Um, And Peter offers to change him. Yeah. What's your take on that? I think Peter is so... um... Grotesquely self-involved That he's somebody who sees Being a werewolf as the only way To live mm. um, And he even tries to Manipulate Styles in a way Where he says you can have What Scott has or you could even be Better than Scott and Styles Doesn't bite on that because Styles One loves Scott Dearly and like the idea of being Better than him probably doesn't Ring like that wouldn't He doesn't want that you know like yeah. he wants them to be equals in their friendship which they are, you know um, and I also think that Styles is somebody who has seen Scott suffer at the hands of this affliction and knows that the best way to help his friends is to stay human he takes responsibility for everybody in that moment, including himself he knows that he doesn't want to be a werewolf. And it's tempting. It's it's a very, very sexy promise to be mm-hmm. fit and popular and whatever. And he knows that he is better suited to protect the people around him and to, like, love Scott yeah. as a human. I think that's very well said. Thank you. I love them. They're the two best friends that anyone can have. And we've talked about how they're just, like, a really good example of male friendship in media that is so often glossed over. I I've never gotten even a whiff of a no homo from the two of them. No. Well, um, it's also because it's not even there's nothing ever romantic presented with no. they are platonically intimate in a way that you are with your friends but often in media is just like that's my boy right there. But like it's it's the way that like if I were really, you know, deeply connected to uh, if I had a a really good male friend. I would also want him to have other really good male friends because that to me shows like great maturity and openness um, and Mm -hmm. self-reflection to be able to do that. And yeah, like you were saying Styles' responsibility to staying human and bringing that perspective um, carries us through the rest of the show. Yeah. Um, and he's so sorely missed when he's not there. And if he were just another werewolf, just another werewolf, but you know what I mean. Like, no, but, but come season three, we do have a situation of another werewolf. Mm-hmm. Quote Chris Argent: Another werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is like Styles' responsibility to stay human is to keep Teen Wolf in the natural world, mm-hmm. so so to speak. Yeah. So not even from a writing... It's, like, from a writing perspective, that's interesting, but I think, you know... Well, and the thing is, none of these people need to take on these responsibilities, but they do out of love for each other. Yes. It is what we owe to each other to be, like, quote, Chidi (laughs) Anagonye, like, to be... Responsible people to like read other people and understand what they need in that moment and to rise to those occasions. Like every person on this planet will prioritize the people they love in moments of great need. So it's not even like. And I, I think, yes, the comparison of Spider Man is very apt, and we can say with great power comes great responsibility at Scott McCall, which I think is a big part of it. But. Since right now, the season is still very insular into, like, so few people that this is affecting, it is a responsibility to the people he loves. Yeah. It gets worldwide. It gets way bigger, especially in season six. And that is great power comes great responsibility, Mm -hmm. where it's, like, a... like town threat or like global by season season six. <laughs> um and that is important because that is the superhero arc and this is for all intents and purposes as we've been talking about since episode one a superhero show. Um, mm-hmm. Even starring Superman himself uh, <laughs> Darren, um, uh so I think it's it's really amazing. And we even see that- Jackson. Yes. Yeah. Coming into this. Yes. As well. Jackson carrying Lydia back to the school, which he would do anyway, regardless of like feeling like he needs to take responsibility. He loves Lydia and he's not a fucking idiot, so he is doing what he can to protect her. But he has. He understands that he is now part of the problem that got her hurt. Yeah. He doesn't go very far and, in fact, takes several steps backwards when he goes back to see Derek. At the end of this episode, now that Derek is the awful. um, Oh, I never said Jackson was like smart. No, he's an idiot. Yeah. But he, like, he carries Lydia out from the lacrosse field. He offers to let, well, he doesn't offer to let Styles drive his uh, Porsche. Styles takes the keys, but he offers the car um, in pursuit of helping Mm -hmm. Scott. And uh, honestly, I think he might have been the one to be like, oh, remember that. Self-igniting Molotov cocktail? Yeah. I think that might have been Jackson. Yeah, because actually that moment would have affected him more than anybody else too, because he's the reason it didn't work the first time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that would be taking responsibility. He's like, I know that I was the reason why this didn't work the first time, so I'm going to be the reason it works this time. I'm going to fix it now. Yeah. It- so Jackson's responsibility isn't so much stepping up, it's uh like making up for past mistake. Yeah, and it's providing opportunity. It's not... Jackson makes a couple of choices, but it's... I'm not going to say they're passive, but he kind of, like, offers things up in service to other people Mm -hmm. that they can take and then use. He doesn't really get into the fray so much, um, but he is there as, like, a constant support throughout the episode. And so, like, Styles and Jackson don't have a big part Mm -hmm. in this episode, but they do support the framework of what's going to happen. Yeah. Um... Which really plays into season two and the I dynamics. I've always said that I think there should be more scenes between Styles and Jackson because their dynamic is just horrendous. So- <laughs> it is so, so funny. And you get just a brief second of it in this episode. I'm like, that could have been a full episode. When we talked mm-hmm. about Night School and I was like, I wish they had paired off. And I wish that Styles yes. and Jackson had been paired off together because they're so funny together. They are hilarious. Oh my gosh, they're great. And the, 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 there's very few moments of levity in the show. Um, and Not in the show, in this particular episode. In the moments where they do come is with Styles and Jackson. Yeah. And Styles at the end trying to make the door not creak, which is just peak slapstick. Okay, I think I would love to see Dylan O'Brien in a clown class. Mm. And when I say clown, I don't mean, like, circus clowns. I mean, like, Charlie Chaplin, like, Jack LeCock actual clowning. I think Dylan O'Brien would be amazing at it. I feel like Dylan O'Brien and Malcolm would really get along. Yes, Malcolm was my clown (laughs) professor, for everyone who's wondering. Um, Someone we know is going to listen to this and be like, Malcolm, you've been on this (laughs) podcast twice. And then I'll get a weird email. Um, Dylan O'Brien is just so... So, so delightful. Delighted. He acts on his, like, he is somebody who has such good acting instinct. He really listens. He really listens in response, and you watch it. And it's still very raw and rough, especially in the first season. But as he gets more refined as the seasons go on, it's so fun to watch. Everyone is trying their hardest in totally. this episode. Yeah. Dylan Brown just succeeds. But Dylan Bryan doesn't have to try as hard. <laughs> um, no, and I thought that, I actually thought that Colton Haynes was good in this episode as well. Yes, I would agree, especially in his his emotional response to Lydia. He's so traumatized, and like, what I really don't understand is when he's like, "I don't know where Scott is." He obviously doesn't know where Scott is, so why is he having such a hard time lying? I I don't know. I don't understand. It sounds so mad at him because <laughs> all he had to do was tell the truth, and he couldn't.
1: <laughs> oh, oh my gosh!
0: Um, God, there's kind of only one last minor moment of responsibility I want to talk about. Um, well, yeah, I think it's important that the sheriff is now taking responsibility for the hail deaths. Not in that he was any way responsible for them, obviously, but he is now getting pieces to put together that you know will you know, at least prove their... You know, bring their killer to justice. Which doesn't actually get to happen because she dies. I hate when that happens in shows. <laughs> I always want people to be tried. Um, but he knows the second he sees that necklace that he has found their murderer. Um, we've talked about this before Yeah, on the show, about how, one, it gets more interesting when the parents actually know what's going on. Always. Um, but, two, how... The sheriff already has a responsibility to Beacon Hills by virtue of his job. By being a sheriff. By being <laughs> a sheriff. Um, and the fact we know he is haunted by the fact that he can't solve these cases. And now he's got one. Yeah. He's got one of the ones that's haunted him forever. And he's like, all right, I'm going to take this and I'm going to run with it because that's my job. Mm-hmm. That's my job. Yeah. We love him. We love him so much. Oh, oh he's my just, favorite. He's my favorite adult in the show, and I think it probably should be Melissa. Um, I like the two of them. I like the fact that they're both single parents trying to raise these Idiot insane boys, boys. <laughs> these dummy boys. Yes. Um, with incredible love and patience. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, that's, I'm
1: so it is so
0: weird to watch a teen show and be like. God, I love the adults because normally the adults are the, are the biggest villains in every teen mm-hmm. show, and to have ones that like you really like and side with is the best. Like think about the adults in Riverdale, which I try not to think about. I've only ever watched six episodes, but what I know about the show is all of them suck except for Luke Perry. R.I.P. That's really Um, sad. No, it's really sad that he was like the only decent parent. Molly Ringwald's kind of stepping in to fill that role, but everybody else is terrible. I love how Molly Ringwald did all those teen movies and then like went away for 20 years and was like, I'm back to be the parent in the teen movies. I'm a mom. No. um, I love Molly Ringwald. I do too. She's a terrible actor. Oh, Aw, I mean, yeah. I mean, she is. (laughs) We're not here to dunk on Molly We love her. Um, Um, But yeah, and then I think the last piece of responsibility, which isn't actual responsibility taken, it's responsibility forcibly taken. (laughs) (laughs) There's been a lot of weird shit happening on our street. It's been a really weird day. There's been screaming outside of our apartment all day, but not anything that we need to be like worried about. Just like yelling. I mean, I hope people are having a good time. Yeah, me too. Um, Kate is forced to apologize for the death of the Oh, family. and she does it terribly. Yeah, she's just kind of like, sorry. And then he's like, that was bad. Rip. Which, like, if there's I, any character relatable. that deserves to die. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Peter finally gets his revenge. Yeah. I don't want to say good for Peter, but, like, no, because Peter <laughs> is a sociopath. Yeah. He's a manipulative evil, evil asshole. Um, but good for, I think it's good for Peter in the sense that it's good for the Hale family. Like, I think that mm. she deserved to suffer as they did. Not that I think life is exchangeable or, like, the death penalty should exist, but I do think she did murder children. Yes. Well, also, the death penalty is, like, such a complicated we don't issue. Need to hash out. I know we don't need to hash it out, but I think, like, it's much easier on a television show to do tit-for-tat as a way of, uh, illustrating like balance and res- and like retribution yes then it isn't real life because, because you, i it shouldn't exist because there's so many examples of our justice system failing um yeah and i also like fundamentally don't believe in tit for tat but like when you're talking yes about no fundamentally i do yes. not believe in tit for tat this is a teen show <laughs> yeah Um, But if there's any character that deserves to not be alive in the show, it's Kate. The Teen Wolf Re-Wolf is anti-death penalty propaganda. The Teen Wolf (laughs) Re-Wolf is prison abolitionist propaganda. Absolutely. 100%. (laughs) Um, But Peter and Kate have their final moment. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, doesn't end well for either of them, frankly. No. I do like that Peter goes full circle and gets burned at the end, too. Oh, sad. How does he recover so fast from those burns in just a year after it took six years for him to recover from the burns the first time? You know, I think it's because he was like buried and left for dead. Oh. Wait, what? Because he's like in the soil and there's like moisture. I don't fucking know. (laughs) All right. We'll, we'll talk about that when that comes up in season two. I think now that we've talked about everybody's responsibilities, we should move into Q's and O's. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have a lot to still cover in our extended episode of season one finale. Yeah. Do you what, have a Q you want to share? It does kind of bother me. Did Derek really not know that Peter killed Laura on purpose? I think it's the same thing as Chris. I think he's choosing to not believe it. I think you can convince yourself of things. I think people do it all the time. I don't disagree. I, I just would have liked a little bit more clarity on the writing there. Because Derek's not an idiot. Like we know that. My request of Teen Wolf on the whole. Um, I would like like a, a companion little more book. clarity on the writing there. <laughs> you know how they make like Star Wars encyclopedias? Yeah. I want a Teen Wolf encyclopedia. There's a companion book. There's a be- you can get a bestiary. We should buy that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, but... No, we're not going to do the that. show. Teen Wolf. But why is there 8,000 Harry Potter coffee table books, but no one who's going to sit down and explain Teen Wolf to me? Oh, wait. I guess that's our job. <laughs> um, Wolfpack, if you think we should get a copy of the bestiary, let us know. Um. Someone sent us a PDF. Remember? Did they? Yeah. Well, I guess we, we have to look at it, So because it's, the Wolfpack has spoken. The Wolfpack, <laughs> the Wolfpack has spoken, that we need to know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um. Was that your your question? Was just that did Derek really not know? Um, I think he probably thought it. Yeah. I think I think he he knew it and thought it. And when Peter presented him with the idea that it could be something else, that idea was so alluring he latched onto it. Hmm. Which yeah. is what you do. No, it's just sad. It's tragic. The show no is sad. mostly sad. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I love sad shit. I'm it's a true edge lord, which is why I <laughs> eat this shit for breakfast. Um, but yeah, do you have another question? I probably do, but please go on with yours because I didn't write them down. because I'm an idiot. Anyway. Um- <laughs> what is Victoria and Allison's relationship? Oh, I cannot... God. I can't place it. There, we don't have enough building up, but I never know what I'm supposed to feel when I watch the two of them interact. I mean, obviously she's her mom, like, and when you're in high school, your mom is, you know, her authority goes. So like, Alison's yeah. not going to disobey her. But I want—I just can't tell what Allison's feeling when she talks to her. You know, it's so drill sergeant. Like, essentially, Victoria is the CEO of the Argent family. Yeah. Um. But does. It, I just don't see people... Her interacting with her family lovingly or vice versa. Um, so what do you think? Like, what do they feel to each other? You know, I think oftentimes, especially when you're a teenager, there's a parent that you gravitate towards. And uh, Allison clearly has gravitated towards her father, who is much more uh, emotionally available to her. And does all of, like, the domestic tasks of parenthood. Yes. He's, like, picking her up at school and shit. I think that's a really hard question to answer because we have so... I don't think we have the textual evidence, no, maybe. No, we don't. And we have, we we don't even know what Victoria does for work, which I assume is nothing because in the second season, she starts working at the school as like a secretary. And how would she be able to do that if she didn't have another job? Like if she was... Well, I also have thought that maybe she does the... Arms dealing um, business? Yeah, I well, I think maybe she does the administration work. Guess I mean, that would make sense. It's just never... Which explicitly... is going to be a lot more work than anybody else does, because everybody knows that administration <laughs> is the backbone of any company. Anything <laughs> that you do. Um, Treat secretary as well. I kind of wish that they had just followed through on the Teen Wolf theme of only one parent. Because... We never... I mean, we see Jackson's parents once. hmm Lydia's I, parents are clearly divorced. We only see her mom. Really. Well, we do get it. Yeah. I, eventually. Yeah, no, but, like, no, 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 I, but I, I think it's actually... Well, I actually appreciate the fact that we have to watch Chris learn how to be a single dad a little bit. Yeah. Because I think the dynamic of, like, a single mother and a son is very common. A single father and a son is very common in, in shows. And the dynamic of a single father and a daughter is not always common. Not in shows. No, no, no. It's I mean, like anything exists in the real world, but I mean in television, you know. So it's interesting to watch them get to that point, point. and I do, th- I really do weirdly think that Victoria's death scene is tragic. It's really hard yeah, to it's
1: watch. really
0: sad when Allison is at the hospital. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting is I can think of a lot more examples of single father and daughters in film. Yeah. Um, I wonder what that is. It's always really sad. Yeah. Because the daughter is always trying to be the mom. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about High Life. Dude, Pretty in Pink, no one warned me about <laughs> the father-daughter relationship in that movie, and I was traumatized for, like, a week. I, I could not stop thinking about it. It's awful. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, like, it's funny because you see this a lot, because I just said High Life. Like, you see a lot in, like, Claire Denis movies. But, like, the father-daughter relationship, as much as you can call it that, in high life is, like, very, very upsetting. Yeah. Or even in, like, I mean, like, Clueless. It's, like, a single father and a daughter. Yeah. And she mothers him. Like, she takes care of him. She's like, drink your orange juice. Yeah. Um, I think it's really But we don't to- get that in this show, which is great. Allison yeah. doesn't step into her mom's role. He gets to just be the dad. Kids are, I think the kids are allowed to be kids in this show. As much as they can be for the responsibility they have toward the supernatural. Responsibility. We're back on <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. But do you know what? There's a really clear division of the responsibilities that they have in the supernatural world versus the responsibilities that they have in the human world mm-hmm. of, like, being teenagers and needing to do their homework and answering to their parents. Yes, and I love that the two go hand in hand but mm-hmm. and, and affect each other, obviously, because, yeah. like, Scott's like, grades start slipping and whatever. But, like... You know, they still apply to college, you know? Yeah. It's great. I think it's really grounding. Yes. Yeah. Um, Do you have any more questions or observations you want to offer? Um, I do have a question, which comes to the very end of the episode, where um, they sort of lay the groundwork for Gerard coming to town. They're like, he's coming to town. No one knows who he is at this point. Why are they staying in town, do you think? They accomplished their goal, which was to get the alpha, and now what? Well, I do think that they now feel a uh, responsibility uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, to monitor the werewolf activity in the town because there is now a new alpha, and it is Derek, and they all know this. But there's no evidence that Derek is going to kill people. No, but that's not how they think. That's true. It's not logic. Does not no. There's no the logic <laughs> or the sheriff, Dean Wolf. Yeah. No, I think especially now that they, now that they know that there is somebody who has the capability of turning people into werewolves in the town. Yeah, that's true. Which because Derek there goes more. and does in mm-hmm. season two. He builds his own little tiny weird Dumbledore's army. It is bizarre. It's really weird, and the way he does it is really weird. And the fact that they're all high school students. They're all high school students, and what? they're all like disenfranchised. Oh, we have a lot to talk about with like Derek indoctrinating people. This yeah. is how cults happen. We're ready. For but this is actually, too, you, guys. you know what? This is actually how people join the military. Hmm. <laughs> you're not wrong. No. <laughs> um, my, I have an observation. So uh-huh. if, if you are done with your questions, um, I am. So make an okay. observation. Um, I, first of all, everyone in Beacon Hills owns a leather jacket, apparently. And secondly, um, I think that the, costuming parallels um, in the final fight scene Derek and Scott are wearing essentially the same outfit and Allison and Kate are wearing essentially the same outfit um, and I know that costuming doesn't always make it into our discussions because sometimes it's heinous and sometimes it's totally unremarkable but mm. I thought that that was a nice little yes. there are a couple so there's that one and then there's like a nice little callback which I know is one of your heroes oh yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um Yeah, well, a note on the costuming. It is crazy how much, and I think this is uh, mostly like the the effect of like body positivity and the relative body positivity in the fashion industry, which Mm. is you know only exists in some places. How much more flattering clothes are now? Yes, the shirts pulled down below your hips. I used to think that I like needed shirts to be like that, and lo and behold. I have a short torso. It's so high-waisted things are my jam. Yes, they and they look good yeah. on everyone. You know, like, I don't necessarily romanticize a lot of, like, old-timey fashion, but I kind of do wish men would start wearing high-waisted pants again. Honestly. <laughs> like, 1940s style, like, suits. Mm, interesting. Um, yes. every And, like, it's funny because I mentioned to you, Allison's wearing, that, like, that long shirt that's, like, too low-cut. But if it wasn't pulled so low, it wouldn't look so low cut. It's all unflattering. And I know that, like, fashion is on a pendulum and it's cyclical and this will all be back in in 20 years as, like, the early 2000s stuff is in right now. Ugh. Um, but I hope it doesn't come back quite in that way. It just doesn't look good. No, it does not. Even on people like, like Crystal Reed, who's, who's gorgeous. Tiny, tiny and beautiful. Yeah, she's, like, 5'10 and, like, Teeny tiny and like How do you make her look bad Okay, Although you know she looked so good When she's just in the zip up hoodie And her hair's in a bun yeah. in the hospital scene I was like why does Crystal Reed look so good right now She looks really hot And by the way uh, Wolfpack wear what you want But um Mid 2000s fashion Early 2010s fashion actually Because we're at the end of that Bad Yeah Yeah Whatever, wherever you want. I mean, like, I'm not the fashion police. Um, my, my observation was we get a scene where Chris refers back to the rabid dog story. He t- tells Scott, and he says it to Styles and Jackson in the hospital. Yeah.
1: And
0: he is basically trying to do the same manipulation tactic he used on Scott in that episode. I forget which one it was. I think it was Magic Bullet. Where he's like, Werewolves are rabid dogs. They are dangerous. They will kill you. And he tells them the story of his... It's funny, though, because he uses a different... He actually tells them a story about a friend being turned into a werewolf and trying to kill him, which is probably a la the story he told Scott about the dog breaking its neck in the cage. And all I could think about was in um, The Dark Knight when the Joker keeps asking, do you want to know how I got these scars? And the story changes every time to give him a different backstory. Yes. And when you hear it changed with a different story to apply with... Have you ever seen a rabid dog? I think that's really interesting because this is clearly an analogy he would use on anybody, and then change the story to fit the situation. Which I was just kind of like, all right, interesting, cool manipulation technique. And he clearly misreads Styles. Oh, totally telling him that. Yes, because Styles is like, I don't care that Scott tried to eat me. Yeah. He's my boy. Yeah, <laughs> <his good friend. laughs> he's my friend. I was like, Scott tried to eat me. I hit him with lacrosse balls. That's how teenage boys interact. I so. made him drink from a dog bowl. It's fine. <laughs> like, we are yeah, even. Yeah, truly. It's like that. That's actually just kind of how men interact. You know, when you see like your guy friends interacting with each other, and one could be like, oh, he punched me in the face, but that's okay. We're going to go get a beer. You're like, I don't understand men, but go ahead. <laughs> if that's how you want to make your friendship work, I, I'm here for it. Yes, yes. Um <laughs> Yeah, this was I'm gonna say it's a bit of a lackluster finale. Yeah, there are such better finales. Um in the sh- There wasn't even really a final battle and like I'm not this person who likes a final battle. I think they're really again, I would I the worst part about action movies is the action. Yeah. Um Yeah. But let's... Okay, now that we've wrapped up our Qs and O's... I have one thing. Oh, is it an O or a Q? It's an, it's an O. Okay, go ahead. Um, at the end... Towards the end of the episode, when Derek goes to, like, mercy kill... Quote, unquote, mercy kill Peter, because he gets to be the alpha. Scott... The quote of mercy kill was from me. You didn't have to quote, unquote, it. I said mercy kill. <laughs> no, I just said it was a mercy killing. <laughs> Sorry. Um... <laughs> Quote unquote mercy kill, Christian, you dumb bitch. That's what you just said to me. That was not, I promise you, that was not my
1: intention.
0: I promise you, I, uh, I never mean air quotes sarcastically, and people are always like, You're being so mean, and I'm like, No, I'm (laughs) not. Why are you using air quotes? See, then you're misusing that. I was, was quote-unquoting you because you said it out loud to me. You today. could have just said, per Christian, a mercy killing, which I disagree with. All right, hold on one second. <laughs> At the end of this yeah. episode, when Derek is going to go kill Peter, which is, as Christian called it, a mercy killing. Um, but not really, because Derek gets to be the alpha. Scott, Interesting. Thank you for posing that point you, of discussion. You are welcome. Um, <laughs> Scott runs over and is like, no, you can't kill him because... The bite of the one, the one who bit you, is what will cure you. Although how that is supposed to work, I—that is the biggest sack of bullshit. You have to kill the one that bit you. So like Scott should be the one to kill him, but there's no way that Derek is like gonna let that happen. And given all of the character development that happens for Derek in season two, where he becomes this manipulative little, you know, trash bag. Yeah, he is a garbage panda in this next episode. Is a garbage panda just a raccoon? Yes. (laughs) Derek the raccoon. Dude, Um. I saw the (laughs) biggest raccoon last time I was home. I was literally in, like, Capitol Park. I was in downtown Detroit, and I saw a raccoon the size of a go to walk by dude i really like (laughs) raccoons but i cannot get over the fact that they have thumbs it's really weird really hate that And and we just saw it walking by and we were like oh my god like that's just a raccoon in like a city center (laughs) and it like looked at us and kept wandering and we're like well we can't do anything about it so yeah like the raccoons alone (laughs) anyway um there's some really good, like, face acting happening from Tyler Hecklin there where he's like, I don't really know what to do about this, but I really want to be the alpha and I'm going to be the one to kill Peter. And there's this moment where you, like, realize how close Derek and Peter used to be mm-hmm. because Peter's like, you've already decided what you're going to do. Just do it. Yeah. I think it would have been so much more interesting if Derek would have just been like, I lied. yeah. Because, I would always rather have people admit shit. I yeah. think miscommunication is an important plot device, but also a boring one. And Derek, like, Scott and Derek have a lot to do to get to a point where they trust each other and they can admit that they love each other. And season two is a, a time where that relationship is completely fractured. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think adding just like a little bit of like, I lied. Mm-hmm. To the end of that episode would have kind of cemented the feeling going into season two, but they didn't do it, and that's that's how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. And that's that on that exactly. Um, so we're kind of wrapping up Q's and O's. Do we want to do, uh, pack stats really quickly in alpha of the week, and then move into our season wrap up? Yeah. Here what are, are our, our pack stats? I didn't write them down, so that's on you. <laughs> so um, I am. F- Fairly certain that there was a Samsung ad at the beginning. I think that's who made the Wi Fi hotspot for Peter's Mac, which is another ad. Um, and they do sting. The, oh my gosh. It's so funny that they do that bit where uh, Styles is like, <laughs> oh, you're a Mac guy. Because that's calling back to those. Do you remember the ads where it's like, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC? Yeah. That's what that was. And I kind of was like, that's a weird conversation, and I was like, oh no, it's a funded conversation from a commercial that I had forgotten about that existed in the 2010s. Yes. Yep. Um, so, uh, I know that we've mentioned before that the glow eyes are going to become much more prevalent in later seasons, and we had four in this episode. Cool. Into um, it. Actually, possibly five. I don't know. Hmm. I was counting. Don't admit your mistakes. Yeah. um, I don't know. No one's ever going to call us out on it, so... Well, somebody might. I feel like someone's going to be like, well, I just watched this episode, and... Actually, if you're you're watching that closely... Make your own podcast. (laughs) Make your own Um, podcast. Get a hobby. (laughs) We had one clause and one shirt off. Um, Tyler Hecklin finally got to get off that, like, wall in his own basement dungeon. Yeah. Ew, gross. <laughs> Every um, time anybody's tied up in the show, they have to be a little naked. And I'm like, that's kind of gross, right? Yes. It's, like, not pleasurable as a viewer. <laughs> like, We're I'm not, kind of, like, the- Tyler Hecklin has a shirt off. I'm like, oh, God, they made him be naked for this. That's gross. I'm like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm always uncomfortable. Um, So those are our pack stats. Who is your alpha of this episode? It's not Scott, you're dumb, right? Yeah. But... I don't- I feel like no one in this episode has, like, a really altruistic motive that I can, like, really get behind, but it is the Scott McCall show. Yeah. And he saved everybody. He does the most good, for he sure. He does the most good, and- I, I mean, his motive is technically Allison, but even then, he still somehow has, like, the least, like, um, I don't know, At least, like- I don't want to say selfish, because it's not selfish for Allison to be his motive, but it kind of is, so I don't know. Self-absorbed. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, look, I love Scott, and, um, I think that he has worked really hard this season to try and figure things out. And when it comes down to it, he made shit happen. True. Um, you do. He found Derek, he rescued Derek, he facilitated the slaying of the alpha, in so doing, creating a new problem. Um... But he, he got what he wanted, and I'm no, happy for him. I agree. But I would say that my Alpha of the Week is Lydia for being immune to <laughs> werewolf venom. Yes. <laughs> That's that, pretty badass. And uh, she also doesn't cause any problems in this episode because she's incapacitated. Yes. No, my Alpha of the Week is, of course, Scott McGall. Um, what, a, what a wee babe. Yeah. Before we move into breaking down the season, do we want to do an Alpha of the Season? Yeah, but if you go first, give me a minute to think about it. I know we discussed it it before. Can it be two? Because I want it to be Scott and Styles. Scott and Styles—they are the driving forces of this season, and they're the ones. End of most seasons. End of most seasons—they're the ones who are supposed to care about the most. Um, they change the most. They evolve the most. They do the most for each other. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's love, bitch. That is—they love each other so much. I know. They're the best. It's really intense, and I. It's so nice to see that kind of friendship represented. True. That's kind And even, like... I mean, I obviously think that, like, female friendships are often more depicted as, like, that intimate. Um, but even so, like, there's a lot of vindictive shit that, like, people... Because people love to think that women are evil. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's interesting to see something with that level of intimacy and, like, that level of, like, loyalty um, in a male friendship. Because usually it's just, like, I don't know, we hang out and play video games. <laughs> So I, th- I think that's really important I think that Scott is It's funny because Scott, when Peter offers to turn Styles, he says it could have been you And it's important that it was Scott Because mm-hmm. as we said earlier, S- Styles has a responsibility To be the human side of Scott And Scott has a responsibility to be the super side Of Styles, and like, they make up A really amazing unit So there are alphas of the season Honorable mention goes to Coach Finstock Always <laughs> The only good ally (laughs) I love him In the world He's the best So now we're gonna go And we're gonna talk A little bit about this season Just to wrap up the pod For this season Um And We're gonna gear up To get into season two Which is obviously Starting in January Um Julia Yes What works About the season What intrinsically works What is something That you would not change What is something You wish had happened In all of the seasons Or in other teen shows Or any show Well, we were just talking about the relationship between Scott and Styles, which I think is the glue that holds this show together, and gets fractured in ways that I don't always think work narratively in later seasons, Um, but there is, like, a a purity and an innocence about this episode, and this episode, good lord, this season, um, that I am gonna miss as we go forward, because at the end of this, everyone is kind of, like, battle-wise- and hardened, um, and people have learned things that have changed them forever. Oh, um, I – I'm, yeah, I'm just going to miss that they're, they're babies. Little, really. little beeps. Little beeps. Um, and it's funny because Derek even says at one point to Scott, you're 16, you're a child, which at 16, you're a child. True. If you're 16 – Sorry, you're a child. When and I was 16, I was a baby. Yeah, you won't think that now, but when you are 25 and old, you will think that. Actually, I felt like at 16, I was like, I'm still a kid. And then at 17, I was like, I'm an adult. I've thought I was an adult since I was 13 and I was a dumbass. <laughs> yeah. Even now I'm like, I don't know, my mental age is like 40 my mental age is like maybe 17, <laughs> maybe 18. Like I have to pay utilities, but like I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I like definitely pay taxes, but I'm like, oh, why doesn't the world revolve around me? <laughs> it's depressing. Yeah. I, I love that this plays into a lot of like teen television tropes. Um, and I think often puts them on their head a little bit. Yeah, he spins everything just slightly. There's some interesting commentary in this season that I think kind of gets lost um, later on in the show. Yeah, um, gets a little convoluted. And as much as we like to nitpick about the lore of the show, which is bad, and the writing, which is bad, yeah. but it's bad. But I do think that there was like a clarity in this season um, in terms of like what they were trying to accomplish, um, that I appreciate a lot it is interesting and I think this is really important because this is what I think really works about the show to move on to what I think um right, all right. what works about the first season is that it is completely unbogged down by alternate mythology that is brought into the other seasons because it is presented so cleanly as that this is going to be the rules of the show Which we know from watching the other seasons It doesn't end up being the rules of the show And I think if you had asked me back then What I thought season 2 would have been about It would have just been about hunters uh-huh. um, And I would have thought that this would have been an entire show Just about the relationship between werewolves and werewolf hunters um, uh, Yeah, that was my other observation Please come on. Did we miss an observation? Yeah, but we can come back to it Alright um, And I think what works is that it isn't you know, it's not dragging along other plot lines. It's free to move forward in the universe. And it does, and it, it breaks off into really beautiful pieces, obviously, as we see in other seasons that we really like. And there's, you know, mythology that is added that is important and fascinating and, and actually well-researched as opposed to whatever that whatever happens in season one <laughs> and two. But it is free to move in any direction, and to have that freedom I think is um, very tantalizing in a show. Yeah, Beacon Hills is so fresh. Yes. <clears throat> um yeah I mean I was saying to you during uh, Victoria has a line that says there are people who aren't to, to Allison she says there are people who aren't ready for you to know which to me is a really interesting implication I that think she are. does mean Gerard yes um, and so that's the, that's the direction they decide to go with it in season 2 but I kind of wish that there were like other werewolf hunting families yeah, yeah. me too yeah. and we do see other hunters. They come in actually, I think in the first episode of either season two or three, Omega. I think it's season two. Yeah. Where we do see other hunters, but they're brought by Gerard, so we assume that they're also Argent family. And it's funny because by the time we are in season six, we meet a lot of other werewolf packs. Yeah, because they're and and you realize that they all have like these different social codes and uh, values and and like moral structures. Yeah, I love the Buddhist werewolves. I
1: love them.
0: Um, and we didn't get that opportunity to see that with hunters and I'm not complaining because I think that the creative direction of the show took a lot of really interesting turns but yeah maybe the hunters would have been the obvious choice and maybe that's why I'm saying that now you know Mm -hmm. Um, yeah but I think we both I think we're kind of in similar ways of like the the innocence of the first season when the biggest problem Scott McCall can have is wolfing out on the lacrosse field and not like the love of his life being killed yeah spoiler um (laughs) It is It was it, it makes for fun And easy watching television And I don't necessarily think That all teen shows Should be easy watching um, Because Teen Wolf I think does a really good job Of introducing Like the concepts Of like life and loss And like relationship um, To a younger audience Which I think is important But yeah I, I kind of do miss The sort of Sort of not having anything Tied down to any One plotline in particular Of season one I think it's good that this is where we start, because I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, don't know, but when I was a freshman in high school, my dad said to me, like, you're going to have to start being there for your friends in ways that you have not been there for them before. And that's, like, such an important part of growing up, is learning how to be there for people in times of loss, in times of grief or trauma. Mm -hmm. And so this is, like, a really good starting point of... Transitioning into that part of adolescence. I mean, and there's going to be there's going to be a point in your life when you're and it often happens when you're young, where for the first time in your life you or someone you love loses a parent. Yeah, and that happens in season two, or and it also happens before even season one, really. um, Mm -hmm. If we think about Styles, or you or someone you love goes through a serious breakup, or you or someone you love or like you know when you lose your virginity, or when, you know, you reach these weird milestones that everyone goes through in life, and they happen sometimes sooner than you think they're going to, and to have that be a part of the first season of Teen Wolf, I think, is important. hmm It's, um... It brings you into the idea that, unfortunately, as a teenager, you are also in the real world. Not yeah. you're cushioned. You totally are cushioned, but life still sucks. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's also great, too, or whatever. <laughs> So now that we've talked about how great season one was, what does not work about season one? The mythology. I, we talk about this all the time. And I look, I am so willing to suspend my belief about certain things. Um, like, I really am. And I want to emphasize that because uh, I fucking love things that require you to sit there in like the movie theater or in front of your TV and be like, This is wildly implausible. But I'm into it. Everyone's seen Knives Out. <laughs> Everyone's seen Knives Out. Um, but I think Teen Wolf takes itself seriously uh, in a way that doesn't play into already established werewolf mythology. So I, th- I think if you're going to do that, you need to have a plan. Yeah. And you need to have a fully formed idea of who these people are and what the rules are. I hate living in a fantasy world without rules. It's so stupid. There are no... I mean, if there are no rules, there are no stakes. And if there are no stakes, it's not worth watching or reading or whatever. Listening to. Like, it's just... Yes. It infuriates me. Yeah. And I think it's funny. The unfortunate thing about Teen Wolf is that every season has rules, but they're all different rules. There's no continuity of rules. Yeah, exactly. And there's not really a lot of rules in this season. I think you're right. I think the mythology is something that is not good. I think often dialogue is really bad except when you're it's coming from i think some of the funnier stuff is good i think some of it is so unbelievably corny some of it feels and i i thought this when the whole true alpha plot was introduced some of it feels incredibly after school special it's so trite it's very trite and you know what sometimes that's good but I also think that Teen Wolf has so much potential to be way more than that, and so to watch it kind of, like, be bogged down underneath this, like, subpar writing and subpar dialogue, like, it's frustrating. And it's one of those things where I'm like, of course a young person show ends up being the after-school special, where it's mm-hmm. just like, it doesn't have to be. I've said this before, like, I'm somebody who is really fascinated in how, like, children's literature has developed over time, and... It is only it is a modern idea that children's literature should be meant to entertain children as opposed to teaching them life lessons yeah as opposed mm-hmm. to morality or even just teaching them like you know, everybody poops. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well no, I mean like it is it is very much new that children's literature should be entertainment. And if we consider that and hold that at its value, it should also be good entertainment. And mm-hmm. there's also, I mean, a million and five shitty shows for adults. Yes. You know, people still tune in to network television or, you know, the garbage that we often watch. Like sometimes you do watch stuff because it is not as high stakes, but Teen Wolf presented itself as something that was going to be an adult television for teens. Yes. And then kind of missed the boat. You know what I think kind of uh, hurts Teen Wolf in this aspect is that I have often, and I being like, I'm taking credit for this, I'm not, but it's kind of agreed upon that we live in a golden age of television right now. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that there is so much good stuff, like legitimately amazing stuff, being made, pushes other creators to raise the bar. Mm-hmm. And I think Teen Wolf kind of entered before that renaissance, and so kind of it was post Writer's Strike. Yeah, but I don't think all of the shows. It was post Mad Men. It was post Breaking Bad. But I'm thinking of things that are like easily accessible on like network television, okay. like. Jane the Virgin or Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Those are two of the best shows that have come right out right now. Or, like, The Good Place. Yeah. Like, I mean, sitcom. Like, comedy that's coming out that is phenomenal. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, you know, like, not prestige television necessarily. So I think that Teen Wolf didn't necessarily benefit from the same, like, all network television is generally pretty good. Yeah, so it didn't have that same kind of pressure. I mean, all network television is not generally pretty no, good. but the the, <laughs> the cream rises to the top, and That's the cream true. is good. Yeah, uh, and it's funny because I almost wonder how that would be affected if Teen Wolf had been on a network as opposed to MTV, which I guess is technically network, but mm-hmm. mm, MT- is MTV still producing a scripted drama. Does Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club count? <laughs> no. It does not. I have no idea. But I when you were watching so. Lindsay Lohan's Beach Club, were you getting ads for scripted drama? No. Because they had a couple shows. They had, was Scream Queens MTV? I think so. Or, Actually, just, or am I just thinking of the Scream show? Because they did a show based on Scream. They did. Actually, I have a lot of thoughts about that. The Scream show? Yeah, it was generally not good, but interesting. But it's funny It is MTV though, but it got canceled. Scream or Scream Queens screen um, so they were doing other drama but it's funny because there was nothing in competition with, St- with Teen Wolf on MTV yeah. with the exception of all of the amazing MTV reality content yeah so it didn't have anything to compete against making it that much better yeah um, so it was just getting gold stars you know rating mm-hmm. wise Which, because so many people were tuning into Teen Wolf, and it's funny because my sister shared with me a BuzzFeed article recently, which is, like, I do not BuzzFeed, (laughs) but it was, like, basically going, it was, like, all these polls about what was the best teen television show, and Teen Wolf was beating Riverdale, and it was beating Gossip Girl, and it was beating whatever, like, all of the things that you think about being, like, the most popular teen shows. Like, people had very strong reactions to the show. Clearly, we're doing a podcast about it. Embarrassing. Fun. Um... But it didn't have anything to rub up against mm-hmm. to shave off the edges. Yeah, so they just stayed there and it got clunky. Um, it was a, it found its comfort zone and then did not. And then uh, we got evolve. season five. Yeah, and then there was nothing five to happened. tell us. Yeah, there was nobody to be like bad job on season four, do a better job with season five. So we. Had if only, five. if only. Yep. Um, to get out of what wasn't working, what are you looking forward to moving forward into season two? We get some new characters. Mm-hmm. which is exciting um, because we've mostly been working with like the core five? Can call them the core five? Like the core five kids. Jackson, Lydia, Allison, Scott Stiles? Yeah. Yeah, five. So the core five. Um, we get some new uh, kind of like secondary characters and then people who start to play um, a bigger role. Derek gets a lot more screen time in season two and we learn a lot more about him. Mm-hmm. Which I'm looking forward to because I, ugh, there is so much potential. Um, yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm. There's. I think that season two is a really interesting plot, and there are some phenomenal episodes that I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah. Um, and a lot of really good Scott Styles shenanigans. Yes, there's a lot yeah. of shenanigans. Um. It's funny, we were talking the other day about how we're so excited to watch... I don't even remember what the episode's called, but the episode where, um... Stiles and Derek are in the pool. Yes. Which... That'll probably Amazing. launch another steric discussion, which we'll get there. But that episode is so good; the stakes are so high. I'm so excited to watch it again. I am so excited to watch that episode. I am not excited to talk about steric. <laughs> I'm <Steric. I've> never excited <laughs> because we because we, we don't believe in it. It doesn't yes. exist in my brain. In our world, in our world. But view. I know that that's one of the like called upon steric yes. episodes. And as you know, people who are talking about Teen Wolf, you unfortunately also have to talk about f- Teen Wolf fandom. fandom. It's Fine. We're just so far removed from it at this point yeah, in our I'm, lives that I'm old. I am very old. I can remember the Mish Apocalypse and therefore <laughs> I'm too old. <laughs> I remember the apocalypse Uh yeah, I'm I should be off the internet. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm not even all on the internet in that capacity anymore, really. No. So it's just too tw- no. Twitter is where it's at. Um, Twitter is where the adults go to still try to be on the internet. <laughs> yes. It's just as desolate, but yeah. Uh, um, faster. Yeah, so I, we're really excited about season two. I am excited about the new character introductions. Unfortunately, season two introduces three of the most interesting characters that ever come up on Teen Wolf, and they do sh- shit nothing <laughs> with all of them. Isaac, who is my favorite character on Teen Wolf, Boyd, who is, would be so fascinating if we just did like an enti- imagine there's just an entire episode in the life of Boyd. I would watch that many times over. And I have said this, I said this to Julia earlier, imagine a spinoff series of just Boyd and Erica. Living their happy frickin' werewolf lives. Just, or doing whatever they're doing on the run, cause they yeah. try to run away together. I know. I wanted that to, I wonder if they thought about it. I doubt it. Dude. If neither of them had died in season 3, because of course you have to fridge the black character because this is Teen Wolf and nobody's allowed (laughs) to be diverse. Teen Wolf. Um, If they hadn't fridged them both, I thought that they would have been the best couple in Teen Wolf. I really thought they were going to put them together and then they didn't. But Teen Wolf was like, no women, no black people, you all have to die. Sorry. Sorry. Um, We're looking forward I'm gonna go and try to find if there was anybody who was critiquing that at the time it was happening. There wasn't a lot of like uh, uh, critical commentary on Teen Wolf, but somebody had to have been writing about it. Are we thinking like JSTOR or like. No, AV not JSTOR. I'm thinking. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Me trying <laughs> the to The binary. <laughs> yeah, the binary. No, I definitely mean AV Club. <laughs> Although if there was something like that on JSTOR, I'd be pretty cool. That,
1: you know that's what? Fascinating. This is another
0: reason why I should go to grad school. All right, my last question. What are we going to miss? What are we happy to leave behind? God, I fucking hate Kate. I hate Kate. I hate her so much. So happy to leave her behind. She sucks. She is the worst. The worst. Um, I am... One thing that happens towards the end of season two, and you don't really get into the repercussions of it until season three, but the adults know. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that the world gets so much more interesting. And by the adults, I mean um, the sheriff and Melissa. Yeah. And I think that the world gets so much more interesting when they get to play a part in in the supernatural shenanigans. And that's oftentimes my complaint with shows that feature teens who are, like, doing insane shit behind their parents' backs. Mm -hmm. Because then the parents become these really unnecessary obstacles to, like, the happiness of the children versus Teen Wolf that was like, nah, we're not going to do that. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that reveal. Me too. Because um, it's what, so frustrating. You, you know what I'm looking forward to? Hmm. Scott no longer having any kind of allegiance to the Arden family. Yes. Because that is what causes so many problems in the first season. It like what, ca- it's what causes him to like almost let Derek die. Yes, and so many other things like where he's like what I w- but I would rather be with him. When he realizes that he has no other choice but to be a werewolf, he all of a sudden p- it puts things into perspective, and I think that that gives him a clearer path in season two, which I'm excited to explore. Anything you're gonna miss? Hmm. I feel like the Porsche goes away in season two. Yeah, <laughs> the Porsche does go away. I'm so excited, dude, I'm so excited for Jackson to have his whole fiasco where he's just like leaking black blood. He is so, that is one thing that I will say about season two that kind of bumps me out is that Jackson is so miserable through the whole thing, Mm -hmm. and there are quite a few scenes in uh, season one where he gets to be a really charming person, and you get to see exactly why he's so popular and why people like him and why Danny's his best friend. Danny the best person in Teen Wolf. Yes. Um... (laughs) And <laughs> not only a token gay a token good person <laughs> yeah um so i'm gonna miss um those moments of like charm and levity from jackson because I, like i i know I don't like him very much but i also don't want him to suffer true i uh, don't want anyone to suffer no <laughs> so it's like so season two is hard to watch in a lot of ways yeah because of the hmm because of the way that it kind of plays out with Jackson. But I'm looking forward to more Lydia It's hard to watch in a lot of ways. Yes. We definitely just... Like, I think season two is far more about, like, the abuse of children. and Yes. Like, how, um... Adults look the other way. How adults look the other way, and also how, like, power is enticing to people who are disenfranchised, and they will take it in whatever way they can to understand their repercussions and then feeling them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, which we only... Which we don't really get so much in season one, because Scott doesn't choose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lydia gets a lot more screen time. Queen. Season two. Queen. She's about to lose nine pounds in the woods. (laughs) Um, The party episode Episode is is one of the best episodes of Teen Wolf. So good. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, I think we need to save our thoughts about season two until we get there. But um, we are going to record a bonus episode this week for the holiday season. It'll be a surprise? i think i've told one person oh that's okay (laughs) and um it won't be that much of a surprise but you're gonna get a holiday bonus episode from us um but we will not be starting season two until january and i don't know if recording will be that wrapped up until mid-january um because i'm going to Spain. Woohoo! woohoo i'm definitely bragging um, I'm starting a new job You're going to Spain It's going to be a little very busy excited. But we're going to start season 2 in January and we're very excited about it But we are going to take a quick holiday hiatus um, Through the month of December But more than anything We just want to say that we are so So thankful to our Wolf Pack We have had a blast Doing this first season The fact that we're 12 episodes deep With I don't know how many bonus episodes Is like way fun And I don't know We're just excited to have you guys along with the ride We're having a good time, and it's really exciting that other people are also having a good time. Every time we get a tweet that's like, I'm so excited to rewatch Teen Wolf with somebody, it's like, makes my heart sing because, like, this show touched us in crazy ways, and like, I know people are still thinking about it the way we are, and I'm excited. Um, And in that vein, if you guys ever have commentary on the show, if you guys ever have questions or observations, if you ever just want to, like, hit us up to talk about it, we offer here some for it. civil discussion or whatever. Challenge us, not challenge us. Talk about how much you love. What's your number? Like, <laughs> please do. Hit us up on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at TeenWolf underscore Rewolf. That is also our Instagram handle. If you want to follow us on Tumblr, our Tumblr is at TeenWolfRewolf. Maybe I will post there. Maybe I will not. Again, we cannot be that involved in fandom. We are too old. Um, if you'd like to follow our personal Twitter's and Instagrams You can from all of those bios um, Other than that we hope that you guys If you like this podcast Please review us on iTunes please. Share us with your friends Because we know that everybody who likes Teen Wolf Also has friends who likes Teen Wolf And we just want to build our wolf pack And have this amazing community of people I made at least five different people start watching Teen Wolf When I started watching Teen Wolf so Which is I what know everybody did there. I'm the one who made yes. Julia watch Teen Wolf exactly. Credit That's for the podcast <laughs> It's all me <laughs> And finally, we hope you guys have, oh, yes, a happy wintertime season. Yes, wintertime season. We hope it, um, get, uh, we hope you get whatever weather you like. Because some people don't like snow. But if you do, we hope you get that. We're hoping for snow. Yes. I love um, some snow. If you don't, hope you get to go to Florida or something. Or whatever. Or wherever you live. The, <laughs> hope you live in a country that <laughs> isn't this cold. Or a place in the country that isn't this cold. Yeah. Um, and finally, without further ado, we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Oh, Bye! Bye!